0: Today on Locked On Canadians, the Canadians dominating in a game on the West Coast against a Stanley Cup winning team. All that's coming up in just one moment.
1: You are Locked On Canadians, your daily podcast on the Montreal Canadiens, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
0: Welcome to episode 944, everyone. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 Moneyline bet. That is $150 if your team wins. Visit fanduel.com slash locked on to get started. My name is Lars Hab, also known as The Active Stick, and I'm joined, as always, by the wonderful Scott Matlove, Habs Eyes and the Prize. We thank you for making us your first listen of the day every day, and we apologize in advance for being loopy today because it is a million o'clock and the Canadians have just played a game on the West Coast that did not make us want to cry.
1: Yeah, it was... I have natural stat trick open in the background right now because I keep looking at it and thinking... No, 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 no. That can't be right. Normally the numbers are the other way around on these. Uh, at five on five tonight, the Montreal Canadians took the Vegas Golden Knights out into the back alley and broke their knuckles with a hammer. It was it was it was bad. Like the Canadians took this game personally and OT was a little bit rougher, a little bit more loose as the energy kind of died out in their legs a bit. But through three periods, this was a game the Canadians probably should have gotten both points in. Uh,
0: yeah, I would agree. I did think the Canadians deserved to win the game. I thought, like, for me, the biggest thing was how few shots they allowed and how few high-danger chances they allowed. That, to me, was the the thing that stood out the most. And I know we're going to spend a couple of minutes talking about Caden Gooley because he is the absolute truth. He's the damn truth. Sorry. I don't even know what we're supposed to say about him anymore. I'm not young. I don't have the like the (laughs) the correct terminology, Uh, but there was there was dominance. I did think that the Canadians were going to kind of wilt. You know, they don't tend to do well in in West Coast games. Um, They've gotten better in the last few years, I would say. But I, you know, I was expecting against a team like Vegas for there to be a lot of issues defensively. But I think they played a team game on that front. There were some, there were some minor lapses, obviously. Ideally, you do not want to lose a game like that. But I just there was so much positivity that I felt in this game in terms of you know what they were allowing and also what they were generating. Like that was so important to me. And like even in even in the overtime period, like I, I felt that. The Canadians had it together, if that makes sense. They 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 had some semblance of cohesiveness.
1: And here's the thing about it is like I keep going through the numbers here. The at five on five, the Canadians were good. The ironic one week part of the team tonight was Mike Matheson by all the numbers, is that he did not have a good game. And he's clearly tired. battle. <laughs> he's battling an injury. Like we knew it was a game time decision. The good news is, for every bit that Matheson struggled tonight, Justin Barron, Caden Gooley were monstrous in what they did. Gooley played 20 minutes. Matheson only played 12 and a half minutes at 5-on-5 tonight. He played a lot of penalty kill, a lot of power play time, but Caden Gooley led the team in ice time by almost two full minutes over Justin Barron. He was incredible in this game. And everything he does doesn't show up on the score sheet. But he was so good. 28 Corsi 4 events, 8 against at 5 on 5, and expected goals for a percentage of 75.51. Kay, I know you're going to listen to this at some point. This is a ghouly nation rise up kind of moment here. And this shouldn't overshadow a lot of other things. Nick Suzuki and Cole Caulfield were very good. And then in net, Samuel Montembeau, is just, Ian Ian Boisvert on Twitter put it best. Every time we think we've figured out who the starting goalie is, someone else comes back and goes, or you don't. Jake Allen has been great. Samuel Montembeau is about as good as you could expect him in this game. Deflection off his own teammate's stick, and then a two-on-one with a guy cutting backdoor uncovered. Outstanding in overtime. Stopped a penalty shot by Jack Eichel, and then made a huge sprawling save to save the game. Stones Eichel again in the shootout. And what do you, it's a shootout. What are you going to do? You The numbers aren't there for you. The Canadians were so good in this game and better than I expected. I expected this to be one of those ones that, ah, they're going to get beat up a little bit here. And I just want to take a look at Caden Gooley's numbers about, against who he played against. He didn't have lower than a 50% Corsi for against any member of the Vegas Golden Knights. He 100% against Brett Howden, Keen Colazar, William Carrier, uh, against Jack Eichel. He controlled 80% of the shots. He was so good, and that's what you need because now you can stop playing Mike Matheson 30 minutes a night. Give him a game off. I know we don't want to see Gustav Lindstrom in the lineup. I understand that. It is better for this team if Matheson is fully healthy and let Gulley take some of those minutes because he's proving he can handle those right now. And then when Matheson comes back, you even everything out again. An immense game. I know it's a loss. I'm not going to be upset. I am frustrated that they should have gotten both points, but this is the kind of game that I look at and go, yes, this is progress. And it goes with what we've said. The Canadians are feasting at five on five, struggling on special teams. If the power play was functioning, they might've blown Vegas out of the water tonight. It is what it is. Sometimes that's how it goes. They play Thursday against Arizona, and if they play like this, they should run the Coyotes out of Mullet Arena without any real difficulties.
0: I, For me, I think one of the things that I keep going back to was what Martin Louis talks to the media about, and he did, you know, in terms of when we were questioning the special teams, he did say that, he was working on trying to get the basics down and trying to be better at even strength. And then the special teams would come later. I think like for my money, it looks like they're doing that in the, in the last couple of games. You know, we talked about the slow starts, but once they get their games together, they are working so hard at that even strength component that you're seeing the Canadians be able to play really well against other teams, whether it's a really good team Or it's like it's or it's a middling team Or even if it's a terrible team, like you are able to see it come together, even if the personnel isn't there, the habits are there, the strategies are there, the ideas are there. And um, on tomorrow's episode, we're going to talk a little bit more about Nick Suzuki because we haven't spent any meaningful time on him on the podcast in the last little while. And I really want to make sure that we give his current season its due. Uh, but I thought that they were really good. Like he and Caulfield were really, really good last night. I think I want to end this segment on kind of that note, Scott. Um, they just felt like they were clicking. They were firing on all cylinders. And they had like really, really good on ice chemistry. I mean, it's it's what we've come to expect of them. But it was just it was just really good to watch.
1: Yes, and we will talk about Slavkovsky and everything else in tomorrow's episode, too, because we are one game away from what should be a complete lineup shuffle for the most part. And Suzuki and Caulfield can likely stay if everything goes the way that I anticipate it might, which who knows. And it's if they can get a functioning second line going again, like they had with Kirby doc, they're doing this with like one and a half offensive line. You have the old guys who aren't that old line with Pearson, Monahan and Gallagher. You have the second line, which is just guys who they're trying and it's not working. And then you have the first line. And then the fourth line is what it is. It eats minutes, gets beats up, beat up a little bit, hits some dudes. Like if they can get a functioning second line in there to go with that third line, the Canadians at five on five are going to potentially be a really fun team to watch here. And the defense, the young defense continues to take these step forwards and the goaltenders play. Well, the Canadians are going to be a team that, yeah, they're still going to lose games, especially ones like this, but they're going to be exciting to watch. They will just death by a thousand cuts you. And then Nick Suzuki and Cole Caulfield would do something really dope. And in a year that's about rebuilding without your second line center as part of that rebuild, that's about what you can ask for this team right now. And I'm really glad that if we stayed up to a quarter after one in the morning to watch a game, at least it was exciting. At least they played well. They deserved two points in this game. They only got one. But sometimes hockey is just kind of unfair like that.
0: Coming up next, we got some intriguing mailback questions from our listeners, including one asking if officiating can be fixed. And also later on in the show, we'll be talking about decentralizing the NHL draft. And all of that is coming up in just one moment. But first, this episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Score early this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 Moneyline bet. That is 150 bucks if your team wins. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time than now to get in on the action. The app is so easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. All right, Scott, we have some really intriguing questions. And one of them, I'm kind of moving up. It was meant for the uh, next week's mailbag, or sorry, this uh, upcoming Friday mailbag. But I really wanted to talk about it right now. And it comes from our good friend, Richard the Pastor. Hi, Laura and Scott. I'm not like a lot of hockey fans who believe that the refs are out to get my team. There appears to be, however, somewhat of a consensus that over the past number of years, the quality of NHL refereeing has been declining. Rather than discussing this in the context of a missed call, I'm wondering if you could take a step back and reflect on what the issues are around refereeing. Is the quality declining? What are the causes? Is it training, compensation, etc.? And what can be done about it? And finally, do you think Bettman and other NHL executives are at all concerned about the quality of NHL refereeing? Scott, do you have any thoughts or shall I launch into my monologue? You're on mute.
1: I'm on mute this time. So (laughs) my first thought on this is that the NHL is not going to do anything because Gary Bettman thinks things are fine. We know Gary Bettman is wrong about a lot of things. And we've known for a long time that they have the best officials in all of sports. They do not and some of that there's a longer stemming issue from a lot of this is that going all the way down to like the youth and the peewee and the midget hockey and junior hockey levels are people don't want to officiate games anymore and part of that is fans or fans and parents are insane to the fact that people are being harassed assaulted off the ice threatened and all these things and people who would get their experience there and then go into junior a and go into junior B or whatever and work their way up into the junior ranks to the semi-pro, the AHL leagues, the NHL, et cetera, are not there anymore because they're quitting before they can continue on that. And there's not that same experience because they don't want to deal with the fans and the parents who are harassing them on there. And that's part of the problem. And, we're seeing it more now, especially at the AHL level. There's a lot more former players who are doing it. Uh, guys like Justin Kia, Justin Johnson, et cetera, are former players who are now stepping into that role. And they know how to call a game potentially a little bit different than someone who maybe didn't play at the same time. Some things might let go. Some things might change a little bit. I think it's, again, I I don't think that the NHL officials are out to get my team specifically. It just feels that way because I watch them the most often. I just think there's so much inexperience around the league and the game is played at such a faster pace now that you cannot catch everything or you can be befuddled a little bit on there, which leads to the co-op point is you have all this video review and the ability to do video reviewing and checking everything. If you are not using that to double check your work, like VAR does, how the NFL does to review things, then you're wasting your time. We talk about offside reviews. Yes, that's one thing. But if you're missing blatant penalties or you know calling penalties that didn't happen, it's just as bad. And you have the ability to overturn that. And coach should be like, you need to look at that. The stick didn't hit him or he stepped on the puck or something like that. They review like every puck that goes out of play why can't you do it with other penalties like that, you know, and it all just kind of culminates in what is a big stinky mess in some games and some games officials just lose control of everything and that in and of itself is another problem, but it's just a relative inexperience. There's not enough people working their way up through the lower levels to get the experience then joining the professional ranks right now. They're trying, but it's a trial by fire, honestly.
0: And it's also uh, worth it to note as well. A lot of people have said how hard it is to kind of stick around and have that longevity until you get to the NHL level, right? Like, these are people that are graduating uh, from level to level. And you, you got to think about it. it is a very lonely job once you do get to the NHL level. Like, you are traveling all the time. You're traveling, like, like literally, you know, your co-workers can be different people from One day to the next um you're going to arenas where most of the people either think you're stupid or useless or literally evil um and like and this is and this is you at the pinnacle of your career right like this is your life when you reach the pinnacle of your career so just imagine like what scott said in the lower levels that there's a lot of abuse that people kind of experience so there's fewer of them that go into it or more of them that leave And then just think about the layers that you have to pass. Like a lot of it's, it's hard. Like there's a lot of certification and training that goes into it. It's hard to get to that level where you can like actually make it to the NHL. The other thing that I want to like kind of point out is that, you know, like, like Scott said, there's a lot of tools to your advantage. There's like video review and stuff, but I'm not actually entirely sure right now what the recertification process is for an NHL official. Like if you're a professional in a lot of uh, areas uh, you you kind of you take a certification, you take an exam or something like that. Like, why not have that? Like, why not have like that renewed over time? Like, I'm not sure if that's something that exists, but I just feel like that would be, you know, to kind of keep you on your toes. You don't just like earn your way to the NHL and then you do whatever you want. Right. Like you coast and the NHL is not going to fire you unless you do something terribly egregious because they need you. Right. Like there's a dearth of of, of applicants. I also think something that would improve the uh, the the. Um, NHL officiating is if they did it kind of like the NFL wherein, are in and I know that there's a lot of problems with this it, it, sh- it would need to be managed very carefully but they should be able to take questions from the media maybe they don't, they don't have to face the media directly but the media or or officials sorry or coaches and stuff should be able to maybe submit questions where they have like you know 24 hours to respond or something like that Scott has a point
1: so the NBA does this. They release an official's report after every game on calls that might have been missed and the result of that, or if there were missed calls in that game. And then if they're egregious, the officials have to answer for them. So the NBA has a thing in place for this, and there's no reason the NHL can't copy that in that if you do something egregious, I'm not talking like Carrie Frazier and the 93 Stanley Cup bad, but like be held accountable for this. There's no accountability for the officials that they, and we learned that like people like Tim Peel just kind of, you know, like I'm going to even it up because that's what I can do. I have the power for that. And the NHL saw no problem with that to do a complete and total overhaul. The, The lack of accountability is a big problem in this league. And especially with the officiating.
0: I also think one more thing about uh, accountability is that a few years ago, player safety and NHL player safety had Brendan Shanahan at the helm and he was following the rules to the letter of the law and they were seeing too many suspensions and too many fines. And so the league tried to rein that back a little bit, but I think if it, if they had done that for a couple of seasons, if they had gone with that over, overly controlling method and mandate I feel like it would have reigned in a lot of the little petty things that players get caught for and the discipline overall would improve like these are just ideas that we're throwing out there obviously like we don't have the answers but I think like if you work your way to get to the NHL you've got to have some talent and some skill or at least at the very least like some resilience you've made it there from my perspective if somebody is working that hard and getting to the nhl and it's the highest level the nhl as a league should just do whatever they possibly can to assist these people into making the right choices and to consistently being good at their jobs like the part of the question was do the executives care i think they'll start caring a little bit more once they realize how much money is on the line, right? Like once fans start checking out, once people want to stop watching these games, once they realize how many more fans and how much more they'll attract if the games were better officiating, uh, officiated, sorry, then I feel like it's going to it's like the problem's going to take care of itself and I think the executives are going to be more invested in it. In the meantime, We've got a couple more really intriguing questions coming up in our next segment, Um, and we're going to get to that in just one moment. But first, this episode is brought to you by Sleeper. A new NHL season brings you all sorts of possibilities. Cole Caulfield could score 50 goals. The Canadians will not hoist the Stanley Cup, but someone else's team might. And you can win big by playing daily, daily Fantasy Hockey on Sleeper, the official Daily Fantasy app of the locked-on NHL network. Sleepers are number one choice for Daily Fantasy sports and especially Daily Fantasy hockey because with Sleeper, you can win 100 times your cash in Daily Fantasy hockey contests. For example... I'm looking at Cole Caulfield on Hot Street, but Nick Suzuki is getting a whole bunch more points. You know, those are the kinds of people that you are going to want to keep watching on on the halves, but also like all across the league. You can also play, you know, Daily Fantasy, NFL, NBA, MLB. Even college football, all of it on Sleeper. All you have to do is pick some players and then see if they'll record more or less than their Sleeper projections for anything like goals, assists, saves, plus minus, and more in any given game. Use promo code LOCKEDONNHL and you'll get up to a $100 match on your first deposit. Terms and conditions apply. That's code LOCKEDONNHL. See Sleeper's terms of use for details and the locational availability. All right, Scott, we've got a couple more intriguing, like really intriguing questions from our listeners. One of really it comes from a good friend of ours who we haven't heard from in a while, but we're very happy to hear from, from, a, from um, right now. Do you think, and this comes from frozen football. <laughs> Do you think the Habs will actually be sellers at the deadline this year? I know much of the fan base wants to keep Monahan, For example, I'm on team sell Monahan and Anderson and maybe even sell Matheson if the price is right. Do you think the Habs would be making a mistake if they aren't sellers at the deadline this year?
1: Uh, yes, and a lot of that comes from the fact that they're playing well now. You know, their record looks pretty good. It's probably not a sustainable thing. Jake Allen's not going to be a 930 goalie forever. God bless him. I wish he would be. And I think Monahan brought back on the contract that he has is extremely just that is that is trade deadline contract it should just have a giant banner that says trade for me in february and that's what's going to happen here and i get it i'm going to miss sean Monahan too he's been great for the canadians last year before he got hurt and so far this year a guy like tanner pearson is a flippable set asset for a team that wants some depth scoring on there he is there uh, Anderson I I just don't think anyone's gonna bite on the contract this year not until the cap goes up not until teams find more cap space out in the wild there and I'm not, I just would not trade Matheson at this point they do not have the pieces to supplement his ice time and yeah they're trying to lose down the stretch you trade him but I also think you named him alternate captain this year he loves playing in this city he is a very good piece that isn't And this also applies to Monaghan, I guess, because Monaghan's not on the wrong side of 30 or anything like that. But I think there's a lot of value in someone like Mike Matheson that you can extend a little bit longer to as you need to and then turn them into a trading asset down the road there, even if you're shifting him down the lineup as Gooley and Hudson and Reinbacher, et cetera, you know, kind of grow a little bit there. It's – they're going to sell. I just don't think, again, this year, depending on how – Teams line up, especially since a lot of teams are in cap hell right now because of their own uh, bad contract signing. It might be quieter than expected, but I think Monahan, Pearson, potentially David Savard, et cetera, are all going to be going at the deadline. I think Jake Allen or Caden Primo will be gone long before then. But I think it'll be a bunch. There'll be one big blockbuster sort of deal that gets multiple picks or prospects and then a bunch of little thirds and fourths and maybe a second here or there, they're going to be busy. But I don't think you're going to see a big name like an Anderson or anybody moving tonight or this season anyways. I love
0: how you said tonight. <laughs> you can tell yeah. how tired we are. Uh, it is Monday. It is, you know, a late game Monday. All right. So I have actually a really, really great question from an old friend of ours who we have not list- we have not heard from in quite some time. Um, it's, it's like, it's old friends rediscover us week. Uh, I love that. So it's, it comes from our friend, Paul branch show. What are your thoughts on the NHL considering moving to a decentralized draft model like the NFL and NBA? Okay. So what does that mean?
1: Uh, so the decentralized draft means that all the teams I believe are in one area or in their own war rooms, they call the picks in. Outside of that, but some players are not at the draft, they're at their own houses and everything like that is that they'd all be in separate locations for that, which means you cannot just go to Nashville, Montreal, Toronto, etc. for the draft itself. And it would mean that everyone kind of has their own draft party, etc. For that, the players might go up on stage, then get their jersey, etc. But the coaches and like the staff and everyone would not be there, as least as I understood it. That's how it is. Admittedly, I don't watch a ton of the other drafts. I just have them on in the background to see what my teams do. Uh, I'm not crazy about it. I do kind of like the central idea of it. But at the same time, if they want to follow in the footsteps of leagues that are more successful and more popular, I kind of get their line of thinking here.
0: I think for me, the biggest thing is that – it's no longer a big event like when it was in montreal two seasons ago it was huge like the city was teeming with people it was like the the prospects their families fans it felt like a party and i know it's like it's serious stuff that's happening right it's like it's like futures being being um determined and teams kind of setting themselves up for success and so on and so on I also think that it is an opportunity, like the NHL, like the GMs can meet, the coaches can meet. I know, you know, journalists meet all the time. Um, it, it's an opportunity for people. Like I know when I when I went to the draft in Pittsburgh, there was an event for sports marketing, I believe, um, or sports PR and things like that. Like it was like they, they literally had a convention that was going on around the NHL draft because they knew a lot of people. We're going to be around then. It's an opportunity for people to go and see a particular city. I do think it does bring a little bit of business to cities. I don't think it's as big of a deal as some of the, you know, some of the other events that happen. It's no Taylor Swift concert, right? But at the same (laughs) time, like it does, like it gives people an opportunity to come together and talk about it so i feel like if you remove the player the 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 teams and their war rooms from that aspect like a lot of that diminishes like they can still have the event and have the player go on stage and stuff but the fact that they're not like i mean for me like i was sitting and eating a hot dog with a friend and and at, at the time the pittsburgh front office like walked like right by us we were having drinks and eating hot dogs and it was just so funny because at first i was like hey that looked that, that 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 tall guy looks like ron Hextall. and then it's like oh that guy next to him is brian burke and then you like recognize it was just fun like when i went to the draft in chicago like i got to meet the dallas front office and they were super super nice and it just gives people uh, fans an opportunity to kind of mingle with hockey people even though or like the prospects as well it's like you rarely meet players but you get to pick the brains of front offices you get to meet um real people who have influence on these games like whether it's like a goalie scout or the analytics team or 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 like the fact that fans can just kind of like pick the brains of these people that are behind the scenes of the organization is just it's so fun and like the cities themselves are so fun. Like I got to discover Nashville. I fell in love with Chicago, you know, like I got to welcome people to my city. Didn't fall in love with Pittsburgh right away. Took another couple of visits for me to actually like warm (laughs) to the city. But I mean, Philadelphia, like when the draft was in Philadelphia, I had such an amazing time. Like it, it gives you the opportunity to just kind of like discover lots of things. So for me i'm absolutely against it like for business reasons it might make it might make more sense for the teams to do that in the future but as a fan i really don't want that i like it's the opposite of what i want i love like when they they boo gary bettman i love when like a team goes on stage and congratulates the recent winner or like thanks the hosts or whatever it is um it just it's it's just part of hockey tradition that i really 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 enjoy And now I'm rambling. Scott, do you have any stories from Buffalo that you want to share with the group?
1: (laughs) Uh, No, just being, you know, uh, the keeper of the cup laughing at me because I wore my Lars Eller jersey to the draft the day he was. It was the only jersey I brought with me because myself and Mark Dumont went to the NHL draft in Buffalo. And I brought my Eller jersey to hang out in the crowd the second day. He was traded on day one of the draft in to Washington. And then obviously the Andrew Shaw trade happened and everything. So when I went to day two of the draft, the keeper of the cup looks at me, looks at the back of my jersey and goes, just goes, long couple days. And I go, you have no idea whatsoever. <laughs> I, the only jersey I brought. And like, obviously Montreal was great as, you know, we stayed out way too late. I wandered into a couche at 3.30 in the morning, slept for two hours, got up, covered day two of the draft, and then hand delivered four poutines back to the Bell Center for another after party. It was, it was a good time. I think teams would obviously do like big watch parties and draft parties and everything at their own arenas for people. But it kind of misses the same when you get all the intermingling of all the fans, all the people from around the world and everything, too. And also, it's probably should be like the lowest thing on like the totem pole for what the NHL should be worrying about at this exact moment.
0: I absolutely agree. And so these were some of just some of the mailbag questions we received. We will be doing more of them on our Friday mailbag. But listen, it is a late game. We need your help. We need your best, sharpest, like interesting mailbag questions for our Friday episode. Because we are going to be recording after the Coyotes game um, on Thursday night. So please send us your mailbag questions. You can tweet them at LO underscore Canadians. You can email them to lockedoncanadians at gmail.com. You can also leave them in the uh mailbag in the youtube comments just write mailbag questions in the meantime you'll find scott on twitter at scott matley you'll find me at the active stick you'll find us wherever you get your podcasts and on youtube make sure you're subscribed to both all everything every little thing and we will see we've got some intriguing conversations coming up with players who may or may not be in a slump and that's all coming up tomorrow make sure you're tuned in see you then